A random encounter at a broadcasting facility. A shared interest and love of all things Marvel. Excelsior! A misinterpreted program title. And behold, a podcast is born. Peter Melnick. Podcaster and comic book enthusiast. And Eddie Wilson! Upstate New York radio announcer still with an inordinate amount of catching up to do. Peter, what are you doing? Here we go with a new episode of The Marvelists. Welcome everyone to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast, episode number five, technically four, of Deconstructing WandaVision. I'm Peter Melnick, Eddie Wilson, and John Sherburn are on assignment in, oh, uh, let's say, Wakanda again. They just went, they wanted to go to Wakanda again, you know, they, they, they needed some more vibranium, but I digress. Before we get into the usual rigmarole of today's episode of Deconstructing WandaVision and introducing our special guest co-host, I want to tell you all at home how you can get a hold of us on them, our social medias, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at The Marvelists. You can also find us on a wide variety of streaming platforms, yada, 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 iTunes, Broken Ice Cream Machines, whatever. You can also find us, again, individually on social media. Eddie is ewilson953, I believe. I hope I didn't mess that up, Eddie. But that is on Instagram. And John, if anything, just cut yourself in yelling at me and saying, hey, hey dumbass, dumbass, you got, you got it, got it wrong. wrong. Because, well, I was a dumbass who got it wrong. But you can also find me on social media, at Peter Melnick, on all social media platforms except TikTok, which is at Peter Melnick, but better. And because that other Peter Melnick took my name, and I'm still kind of hot about that, but I wanted to one-up him in my uh, social media name. So I insulted him. Oh, well. But anyway... We are joined on the other end of the tin can and string, technically, although John's audio editing voodoo makes it seem like he's right here because the guest co-host today is recording on his end. This is my long palaver today. God, I, I had a cup of coffee and a lot of caffeine in me today. So we are joined with one half of the SNL Nerds podcast, John Trumbull. John, good evening as this is recording on a Saturday, about two, about two and a half hours before your time to watch the show in New York City called Saturday Night Live. Hello. That, that is correct. Yes. Uh, I'll be recording and uh, making notes on SNL as it airs. And uh, and uh, if it's anything like lately, I may be falling asleep before the end of the show, depending on how tired I am, and then have to watch the rest Sunday morning before we record the SNL nerds. Well, isn't it great for TiVos and stuff like that? Yes. Yes, it is. It is good. Um yeah, that that comes in really handy. <laughs> and John, even before we get into the main episode, how can people listen to that show? And also, how can people find you on social media? Uh, well, you can find me on social media. I'm on uh, Twitter at Trumbull Comic. That's T-R-U-M-B-U-L-L and the word comic. Uh, the, the SNL Nerds, uh, you can just search for SNL Nerds wherever you listen to podcasts and you'll find us. We're on the Nonproductive Network. And we're on uh, Twitter uh, as at SNL Nerds Show because uh, someone else took the SNL Nerds handle and has never tweeted with it. That is the absolute worst when somebody takes a social media handle. That's why, like, whenever a social media platform comes along, I have to like I have to immediately get my name on there or the Marvelists' name. And I realize now there's somebody listening to this probably that will now try and you know. Give me a little hell and try and, you know, get to those names beforehand. But ah, so let's talk about the biggest part of the episode first, because I realize the point of this show is doing a recap of the episode from beginning to end. But yeah, we can't like just save the ending for the end. This has to be something that we tackle right off the bat. Let's do it. Holy ah! Quicksilver, man. Yeah. Pietro, Quicksilver and, and not the Quicksilver you would necessarily expect. This got spoiled for me last week. Yeah. And if I don't uh, I don't know if you had seen, there was footage on the internet that was immediately taken down by Disney snipers mm. because this and this is actually something again, this character, this portrayal by Evan Peters, has been kind of known also through Twitter, where the voice actor in Brazil, I believe, tweeted saying, Back in the day when there was the movies with Fox, I was his voiceover actor for the uh, the Brazilian dub. 
I get to do it again. Ah. And again, Disney snipers, they came in and immediately took that down. Like that was up for about, I think, 10 minutes and then taken down like that. But that was long enough for somebody to screen cap it and share it around, I guess. And there were many screen caps, man. There were many screen caps. And with that, the other way it got spoiled partially for me was last week. There was footage from episodes five and six. So I've seen part of episode five before it drops. And I've also, if you're into collecting pop figures, there is a two pack of Billy and Tommy and it incorporates Quicksilver in some way, shape or form that I will not say, Hmm. but a lot of merchandise like this is why Disney was very careful with the Mandalorian where yeah, they realized they shot themselves in the foot by not having any Baby Yoda or Grogu merchandise available that holiday season. So they're taking their time. That's why when the only merchandise for WandaVision right now are the Funko Pops and their 50s Wanda and Vision, 70s Wanda and Vision, and the Halloween costume ones. That's it. I'm looking There's forward no to seeing characters. the Halloween costumes on the show uh that's that's gonna be fun i think i love the fact that they're bringing these characters into that look because i like when they're they're poking fun at the source material but also still paying respect to it in a way and this episode had one of my favorite jokes and by the way i like how we talked about the uh the Quicksilver thing, and then we kind of got away from it a little, but yeah. we will be going back to that in a moment with our theories and everything. But talking about referencing the continuity, or not the continuity, but the characters themselves in the original material, they acknowledged that in the movies and the show so far, Wanda Maximoff has never, ever, ever been referred to as Scarlet Witch. Yeah, that, that took me aback a little bit. I was like... Oh, no, no, aliases. Really? Really? None of them? You can't think of one? And I love how they referred to, you know, in a tongue-in-cheek way that Scarlet Witch is a wacky nickname. And just, I'm very interested in seeing how will she become the Scarlet Witch? Because that is what she's known as. She's not, like, she in this universe, she's known as Wanda Maximoff, but could she be Scarlet Witch? We don't know. I mean, I think she, first of all, I think it's weird that she doesn't have, hasn't had a code name of any kind up until now. And it's, it's always weird. It's like, you know, at a certain point in in the X-Men continuity, they just gave up on giving Jean Grey any kind of code name. And like in the, in the X-Men cartoon, you know, they, they had the intro where it's, you know, Cyclops, Wolverine, uh, Jubilee, Jean Grey. And it was just (laughs) like this weird combo breaker (laughs) in there. And it, it always just. It was the weirdest thing. I mean, I, I get if you don't want to use the Marvel girl name or something like that, but usually, like, when they shift from having a code name to having just their real name, it's a sign that their continuity's gotten really, really screwed up, like Donna Troy, you know? And it's just so bizarre that this entire time they've never called her that. And, like, it is really good that they are that self-aware of that, where, no, like, oh, yeah, we haven't called her this this entire time. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested, you know, as a figure collector with the Marvel Legends, they've made figures of all these characters, as far as I can tell, for the most part. They've never made a Quicksilver figure, though, but I believe they have made Wanda. Mm -hmm. And I'm interested, was she listed on the package as Wanda Maximoff? I don't know. I've noticed that, like, the the more modern uh, superhero movies or comic book movies that they they've made, they seem kind of self-conscious about using the code names too much. Like, even the Batman movies, they don't say Batman too, too often. Um, and, and Yeah, like, he's Bat of Gotham, or he's the Dark Knight. Right, right. You know, or they, yeah, or they call, just call him the Bat, or, you know, even, even in the Captain America movies, they call him Rogers far more than they ever call him Captain America. I guess because they're, they get a little self-conscious, or they, they feel like using those names too much plays a little silly, but I, I wish they'd just do it, you know? And that's why even in the X-Men movies, Beast was never called Beast, he was always Hank McCoy. Yeah, you got to use the code names at least once, as far as I'm concerned. At least once. With uh, this episode, like we were saying, we get the debut of Quicksilver. But the the recasting, which I love the idea that it was 
labeled as a recasting. They recasted Pietro. Mm-hmm. Just again, there's something about the fact they acknowledge yet another concept of sitcoms of all of these different eras, the idea of recasting somebody and recasting is something that's been prevalent in the Marvel universe with Don Cheadle, you know, no longer, or he was, you know, became Rhodey after, uh, what, what's his name? Terrence Howard when the first one. Yes. Terrence Howard, you know, leaving the role of Rhodey and after Iron Man one, which again, I still laugh when I hear next time, baby. I think that's, that's, that's just such a wonderful quote that is always hilarious to me. It's so, it's so darkly ironic now, but like, uh, supposedly Terrence Howard was, he, he earned more money from the first Iron Man movie than Robert Downey Jr. Um, and he was not happy with, uh, losing money in the second one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think they gave, they were going to give him a pay cut in the second one. Uh, because like you know, more money was going to RDJ, of course, and uh, yeah. So so I think I rem- I saw some radio interview or something where Terrence Howard was like, yeah, R- Robert Downey Jr. kind of did me dirt. He wasn't saying that overtly, but he was certainly implying it. With a lot of these movies, you know, we're getting these characters making their returns. Like I said, we're getting Quicksilver to make a return. Are there any characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe you would love to see make a return through some kind of loophole? Um, Like characters that they've definitively killed off or just characters that they haven't used in a while? Either or, to be honest. Um, Let's see. I would would like some of the characters, at least some of the characters that they've killed off to remain dead. Um, Because I think death has to mean something. If you you bring everybody back from the dead it it's not going to mean anything if you kill somebody off so i would like um like i mean i'm i'm fine with them leaving tony stark dead um i think i think it would be fun for them to uh bring back uh, tim blake nelson as uh, samuel stearns the leader um because they they had a great setup for him in the incredible hulk movie and they've never followed up on that uh, so it'd be fun to see the leader in live action. I think I've heard they're they're bringing the abomination back. I think in the She Hulk series that's coming up. I'm, right. I may be wrong on that, uh, but I I did read recently that the abomination was coming back. So I'm like, okay, that's cool. Um, it, it'd be neat to see Betty Ross come back as long as we're talking about the Hulk. Um, I was really happy when the Red Skull came back in Endgame. That was a neat, unexpected way to bring him back. I wish we could have gotten another movie with the Red Skull as a villain. Um, I agree. Because when what we saw in Endgame, he kind of evolved past that. Um, let me see. Who else? Who else? Um, I've always been a sucker for uh, Whiplash, to be honest. But that's mostly because I'm a big fan of Mickey Rourke, and I really hate that his comeback did not last. Yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently, Mickey Rourke was pretty unhappy with how the final edit of Iron Man 2 turned out. I think he thought they cut out a lot of cool character stuff he did. And uh, I don't know. I don't think I've ever seen much in the way of deleted scenes from that movie. So uh, who can Disney say? Kind, well, Marvel Studios and Disney, they're kind of very careful with never really releasing extra footage. That's why, like, when Endgame got... They did their little thing where they wanted Endgame to beat, you know, Avatar as the highest grossing film. They did a re-release with new footage, and it was unfinished CGI involving Ruffalo's Hulk. Yes, I remember And I went to go see it. That was, I think, my third or fourth time seeing the movie, and... There, you know, being able to see that was kind of cool, but like on home video release, not available on Disney plus not available. If you wanted to see that, you had to go to the theater and honestly, it didn't really feel like much of a big thing to go see. Like, cool. I got to see the movie again, mm-hmm. but whoop de doo I got a free poster, you know? And, and usually, honestly, usually when I watch a deleted scene, uh, my main reaction is like, oh yeah, I see why that was cut out. Like, you know, you, yeah. it, it's usually stuff you don't really miss in the film. Um, and I keep going back to The Incredible Hulk, but, like, there are some deleted scenes on that DVD. And after watching some of those, I'm like, oh, yeah, I kind of see what uh, Edward Norton was on about. Um, because I think it would be a better movie with some of these scenes back in in the, the edit. Um, but, you know, I, I'm sure big blockbusters like that are always this huge tug of war. Um, 
Right. I, I just thought of somebody else I wanted to see uh, come back, and uh, now I'm blanking on them again. Oh, well. Well, well, one of the things, like I said, is the return of Quicksilver, and we're going to get back into talking about that with some of the theories that are going around with the character. And we'll go with one that is, you know, currently going around, thanks to friend of the show, Doug McCausland. On TikTok, he did a video talking about in a roundabout way of saying the X-Men movies are the creation of Wanda through a bubble. And you can go on our Facebook page and see it on there, facebook.com slash the Marvelists. And, and you, or you can also see it on his TikTok, give him more plays at Doug McCausland, M-C-C-A-U-S-L-A-N-D. But there's just something about that theory that it is very much a mind-blowing theory that got me uh, thinking. Yeah, that's uh, you sent me a link over to that, and that is really interesting. And it's it's interesting to think that they may have found a way to bring in the uh, the Fox X Men movies in through the back door, as it were. I mean, because like I, I remember they had this weird rights split uh, where like Fox, because they had the rights to use all the X Men characters, they could do mutants. And so, therefore, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver could not be mutants in the Avengers films. And they had this weird sort of shared thing where both uh, Age of Ultron and uh, I forget which X-Men movie it was that Quicksilver debuted. Which one was it? His first appearances were Age of Ultron and Days of Future Past. Oh, okay. Um, so, so, like, they were both released, like, the same year. And I think... People definitely liked the uh, the X-Men version of Quicksilver, the one that uh, Evan Peters plays a little more. Let's be honest, the one that didn't die. <laughs> yeah, well, he had that standout scene. And and it was I thought it was really kind of clever that they made Quicksilver the sacrificial lamb in Age of Ultron. Because, like, if you watch Age of Ultron again, there are so many things, like, kind of foreshadowing that Hawkeye is going to die. Because, you know, like, we find out he has a wife and kids, and then he's like, well, this is my last job, or I'm almost done renovating my house. And it's like, you know, I'm two days away from retirement. And and then, like, when they kill off he's Quicksilver too old instead, for this shit. <laughs> he, he literally says, you didn't see that coming. Because, like, all the foreshadowing was for, for Hawkeye. Um, yeah. So I, I thought that was kind of clever. And also, like, he was kind of a disposable character in the grand scheme of things, because they didn't. They didn't necessarily need a speedster in the group. And, uh, yeah, he, he wasn't as useful to the Avengers as he was uh, to the X-Men in that one movie. But even then, he was basically just there for the one sequence, and then he was gone. And to be honest, the characterization of the Fox version is so much deeper. There's just something about him in the sense of he's this loner who he's literally sitting in his parents' basement playing pinball machines and arcade machines. Mm -hmm. And doesn't know what's going to happen as life goes by, speeds by on him. It's kind of like he finally finds his purpose. And one of the things about that, like I said, is the incorporation of music for the character too. How, you know, he always has the band shirts, mm -hmm. how every big scene with him, his big scenes would be either the Eurythmic Sweet Dreams or Jim Croce's Time in a Bottle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, going with music... As a topic, this is my long-winded way of getting into this segue. A remark was made by a friend of mine, Crystal, on Twitter, who pointed out that they did play music as a cue over his return. And it was music from the first X-Men movie. But it was not the music we would think. We would not hear the main score of the X-Men. No, it was not that. Instead, it was the music from Logan and Rogue off of the first X-Men movie. And I would imagine they went with that version as well because it's much a much more emotional kind of song because of the implication for those two characters. A you know, the importance, the saving of the character, I believe, at that time. I haven't I haven't watched the first X-Men movie in a very long time, but I would imagine that was the purpose of that song for that. So it's an emotional moment. A X-Men character from the Fox-verse makes his debut in this. They go with an emotional song. It was smart. Yeah, yeah. And there's just something about that idea that you bring this character in and I love that he is the uh, he's the brother 
that's like on the the wrong side of the tracks. He's you know very much a quipster, just like he's a quickster. <laughs> Wordplay. But um, there's something about this interpretation that I love, and I'm glad to see that we're not losing this version of the character. Although rumor and innuendo is that this character. I've heard the theories that, you know, Mephisto is going to be involved in this series. He's the one behind everything. And again, rumor and innuendo is that Mephisto is Quicksilver. But I also had a conversation with today with friend of the show Emmett of, I think he calls it No Comics for Old Men, something like that. But on Twitter, you know, not Twitter, but in person we were talking about it and he remarked, you can't really market a character like Mephisto in international markets like China. That's why we had discussed on the uh, debut of Tommy and Billy in the, uh, what is it called? In episode three with uh, myself, John and Katie, Katie brought up that it's really hard to be able to market pro LGBT material in a place like China because they edit that out immediately. So we think, you know, for example, because of the character of Wiccan being an LGBTQ character, you're not going to be able to do that in a movie. So you're going to have to do like a Disney Plus kind of thing. So like, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. But the idea of Quicksilver being Mephisto, that might be a very real possibility. Now, that could be neat, and I could see that happening. I mean, uh, part of what I'm enjoying about WandaVision so far is it's it's this kind of fun mashup of all these storylines that I remember from the comics. Um, like, I mean, you know, the, in in the comics, there was a there was a twelve issue uh, Vision and Scarlet Witch maxi series where it took place in real time. So each issue was a, a one month past the previous issue and so she had a pregnancy in real time and she had i believe in the last issue she gave birth to twins tommy and billy uh, which are of course the names of the twins in this show and then later in the comics um like steve englehart and uh, richard howell did uh gave them their babies and then after john byrne took over west coast avengers he did a whole storyline where he basically like took the vision apart and destroyed their marriage and and it was a big twist from the status quo, and it it uh, it got a lot of fans bent out of shape. Um, and he also now that West Coast run you just mentioned is that the uh, darker than Scarlet arc? Uh, yes, that was the name of the the arc, or at least uh, one of his last arcs. Yeah, he he had the. the I Scarlet actually Witch. just bought a copy of that. Yeah, she. Uh, it was just reprinted, or is just about to be reprinted in an epic volume. Uh, and I think it's got all the John Byrne issues in there. Uh, he he was on the book from like 41 or 42 till about the mid 50s, I think. Um, and uh, yeah, he did he did some really interesting stuff, and I I in, enjoyed it. And then he left the book very abruptly because um, basically the big storyline he was re- leading up to with the Scarlet Witch, um, he he had pitched this as at uh, one of the big Marvel summits, they were looking for, okay, we're going to do our annual crossover thing in all the annuals. And John Bird said, well, I'm doing the storyline in the Avengers, and maybe we could use this as the basis of the big uh, annual crossover. And he pitched this uh, thing, which was a kind of a complicated thing with the Scarlet Witch's power and it kind of tapping into alternate realities. And the editor-in-chief, Tom DeFalco, was like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't like that for the crossover. Let's not do that. And so John Byrne went back to doing it as he originally intended in the the West Coast Avengers book. And then uh, later, like a few months later, Tom DeFalco, editor-in-chief of Marvel at the time, he, he got wind of this and he's like, wait a minute, why are you doing this storyline? I told you I, I didn't want you to do this storyline. And John Byrne's like, no, you said you didn't want to do it for the crossover. I'm just doing it in the book as I originally intended. And they so they were kind of at loggerheads. And he was like, you can't do the storyline because it changes the Scarlet Witch's power. And John Byrne was like, okay, well, if I suddenly can't do this, the end of the storyline that I've been leading up to and that I've started in the book, there's nowhere for me to go. So I'm I'm out. And so uh, he left the book and then uh, Roy Thomas and Paul Ryan uh, finished off the storyline. They gave it a different resolution. And I never read the, the, the end. I think I dropped the book a few issues after that. Uh, 
but that was there was a very long-winded way but i mean like uh scarlet uh wandavision is kind of taking some of those plot elements and weaving them together in a new way uh on a facebook post a few days ago i i likened it to like uh, like a band you really like now is doing a a great cover version of a song you loved 30 years ago and that's kind that of that analogy is why I actually asked you to go on the show for this episode because that is a perfect analogy for this. Yeah, it's I mean because it's 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 they've got an interesting thing doing the Marvel uh, cinematic universe because you want to stay loyal to the comics, but you also want to find new twists and new spins on it to a both surprise the people who know the stuff from the comics and make it work for a mainstream audience. Because uh, if you're if all you're doing is just doing the comics literal or verbatim, it's not going to have any surprises to it. And and you want to so so it's a weird balancing act. They want to you want to keep it close enough that it's still in the same spirit, but uh, different enough that it's its own thing. You know, this is why when you know going over to the distinguished competition mm-hmm. when they did the adaptation of the Killing Joke with you know Alan Moore's iconic story. Mm-hmm. And everyone was bent out of shape because they mix things up. That's going to happen. You have to, you know, change things up just a little bit from what the source material is. And they've learned from that sense of DC, you know, they don't they shouldn't go after the quote unquote sacred cows with their stuff because there will be repercussions from fans where, yeah, that that was not a very good animated film. Oh, jeez. I, I haven't watched that in a few years. I did I did buy a copy of it after it had been out for a while. I, I think the main reason they inserted the extra scenes was just because if they just did the graphic novel by itself, it just would have been way too short. It would have been like 30, 40 yeah. minutes or something. Um, so they added a kind of a prologue with Batman and Batgirl. And, uh, you know, it, didn't, it did not go over well because I, I feel like I, I think the big criticism of it was it seemed to take away a lot of Batgirl's agency. Yeah, and, and just make her like she's this big Batman fan girl who's who's crushing on him. Uh, so yeah, it, let's it, let's drift away from that topic because that's more of a topic for the deceased's uh, alternate universe uh, podcast with Patricio and Joe. That, that's the one that the other with, Peter Melnick is doing. <laughs> exactly, and with uh, this also, there's another theory that I had got a text from uh, Katie from the previous episode, episode three about Monica Rambeau proceeds to text a specialist and we're under the speculation that, oh my goodness gracious, she's texting Reed Richards. Who boy. That I'm kind of on board really for this neat. a lot. Yeah. I mean, it it's, it's going to be really neat to see how they incorporate all the material or excuse me, all the properties that they, they just got from Fox well, like they probably got them a couple of years ago at this point, but now, now we're we're seeing how they're gonna, starting to weave that in. And I, I know there was a, like some reference to like a group of astronauts too when they came back from the snap. Yeah, and uh, that could be a, a setup for the Fantastic Four. And I mean, the Quicksilver thing is really interesting because it, if if they're introducing this as like another multiverse in the Marvel multiverse, um. That's really neat because it lets them incorporate anything they want from the X-Men movies from Fox, but it also gives them license to change anything they might like. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if they're going to get Hugh Jackman back as Wolverine. I think he's pretty much done with that role. And you also have to wonder, like, well, how many more years can he realistically play this character? <laughs> um but I mean, his schedule is free now, you know, no, since he no longer has to do the music man on Broadway, which ever since Broadway closed down, I'm still so salty about the fact I didn't get to see that. It, it didn't even get to happen. Yeah. But yeah. I digress. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of actors with more time on their hands these days, unfortunately. Um, that's just the world we're living in at the moment. But uh, it, it, yeah, it would be neat to see it. I mean, I, on the other hand, I think it could be really fun to see uh, Kevin Feige and them cast the X-Men anew. Um, I think if you give them a few years to rest, I think it would be really exciting to bring them back. Because, like, when they brought in Spider-Man in Civil War, it was he seemed so fresh again just in, the, right. in their treatment of him. And it was, like, because 
Well, I personally am not a fan of the Andrew Garfield uh, Spider-Man movies. I didn't think they were very well done. Um, there were some good moments in them and some good actors in them, but overall, I, I thought they were kind of a miss. So I was really excited when they brought uh, Tom Holland in, and I thought he just nailed it. Oh, no, no. He's Iron Boy Jr., according to many tired comments on the internet. Well, I see that criticism. Ugh. I mean, he is he is a little too much in Tony Stark's shadow. I would like to see him break away from that uh, in, like, whatever the next Spider-Man movie is going to be, ultimately. Um, and, you know, I would like to see him, like, use a, a little less in the way of gizmos. Uh, but but they're still fun. I mean, and it's, you know, and Tom yeah. Holland's so damn good in the role. Well, in regards to just what the future of this could all bring... We also got a little bit more character development involving Jimmy Woo and Darcy, and I love the interactions of these characters. I also love the ancillary characters in Westview, and the one that I would say stole the show for me was Norm. When they're, you know, sitting talking about the computers and like, oh my god, you can do this as an electronic email. Hey, let me get my letter opener. And... I love the scene where Vision takes the computer, puts his hands on it, and fries the computer pretty much, turns around, goes to Norm, puts his hands on his head, and he manages to get Norm out of Wanda's control, talks to him, puts his hands right back, and Norm is back to being what he is. Yeah, that and was, that was the a acting neat in that, moment. That, the acting in that was absolutely phenomenal. And yeah. It again, it's so damn uncomfortable when you realize what all of this is. And the other thing of, you know, an uncomfortable moment is in the very beginning of the episode, Agnes shows up and breaks character for a split second, low voice, no character accent or, you know, inflection and goes, can I do that take again? Yeah, let's take it from the top, which. Yes. And it was so uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And the other There's characters are literally something... like, what's going on? And it's it's interesting. Like, we sort of know what's going on, but we don't, we don't... We're only about halfway through the series. We've got, like, four more episodes to go. So we don't know the full story yet. We don't really quite know why this is happening. We don't know the full deal with everybody. Um, the the I, I think the fourth episode came along really at the perfect time because after, like, three episodes of the sitcom tropes, it was just starting to get a little played out or a little monotonous, even though they were changing it up every episode. So I think the fourth episode was so refreshing where they were just like, okay, here's what's been happening from behind the scenes in, in those previous three episodes. And it, you know, it's, it's fun to see characters like Jimmy Woo and Darcy come back. And, uh, I, I was very happy that, that Darcy had matured in her time off screen I was like, oh, it's so nice she got her doctorate. That's really good for her. I'm proud of her. And she wasn't... <laughs> because honestly, in Thor The Dark World, I started to find that character kind of annoying. Um, right. So it was... I'm glad in the however many years she's been off screen, she's matured a bit. And that and that she like changed... Because she was originally like a, uh, a political science major, I think. And now she's like shifted over to the hard sciences. So I was like, oh, that's that's really cool. She's following in Jane Foster's footsteps. You also have the evolution of Jimmy Woo in the sense that he learned that card trick from Scott Lang. Yes, yeah. When he does his opening scene with the card, I'm like, that is so cool. Like, he did learn that, you know, uh, up-close magic. And I'm yeah, proud and of him it, that he know, took that and, course. And they do that without a word of dialogue. It's all just in, you know, he just does that little quick sleight of hand. And you're like, oh, look at Jimmy Woo. <laughs> And on the topic of Jimmy Woo, by the way, they are currently saying they're pitching a Jimmy Woo series to Disney. And a lot of people online are saying if they do this, they should make it the Marvel equivalent of the X-Files, discovering all of these weird little parts of the Marvel Universe. Make it the Agents of Atlas series. Give Jimmy Woo a giant gorilla. I don't care. Just do whatever you can for this series. And just have fun with it. But then, you know, the idea of making it Marvel's X-Files and partnering him up with Darcy, because I love the chemistry between the two characters. I think they are knocking it out of the park. They're both very well aligned with their comedic timing. And 
And I, think I, I mean, with I that, think, it's I think be part fun. of that is because both of those those actors have background in sitcoms. I mean, he yeah. he he was on Fresh Off the Boat for years. She did uh, Two Broke Girls for uh, I think about five years. So they both know those rhythms, and and you give them a joke, they're going to nail it. And to reference the same tired, tired joke, he w- did have a number of years being John Krasinski on The Office. So he's got that for him. But the whole issue of the, you know, what is this going to be with the next episode? They're, they already have previews of episode six. And as far as I can tell, episode six takes place in the 2000s because you see in that preview Wanda doing a mockumentary style interview a la The Office and that means we skipped the 90s except we kind of didn't because I was talking to Doug Garnum of Haven for Heroes today and you know when we're in there we were discussing it was half 80s half 90s for this episode and I can absolutely see that because when you have that opening video the uh, title card of the WandaVision theme song yeah and by the way, Baby Vision is now currently being a meme on par with Baby Groot and Grogu. So I've seen that picture already quite a few times in all three Marvel shitposting groups I'm in. So <laughs> especially in multiverse of shitposting. So we'll see what <laughs> I enjoyed the opening credits because like the the painting, the the portrait of the family, that's right out of the uh, the the opening credits of Family Ties. Like the the main one that I think that show is remembered for that show. They had a few different uh, openings on that, but I'm I'm like a child of the '80s, so like I remember the opening of Family Ties very very well. And like the Same. the set on this week was uh, very reminiscent of the the Keaton household. Um, I, I I like how each week the sets are sort of reminiscent. Like in the '70s episode, if the the house looked kind of Brady Bunch esque. It was like a mirror image when the, we're, the, we're in the early 60s. It was very much Rob and Laura Petrie from the Dick Van Dyke show. Uh, they're, they're doing a great job with the set design and the costumes and all that. I, I felt like in the early episode, I was like, you know, they're doing this as a straight sitcom. I wish it was like a little funnier as a sitcom. Um, but I, that's probably a bit of an unfair comparison because like, if you're emulating the Dick Van Dyke show, that's one of the all-time best sitcoms. And Fun fact, by the way, about the uh, Dick Van Dyke thing, that episode, people learned that week, you cannot say Dick Van Dyke on Facebook because everyone got their account zucked. Really? <laughs> yeah, you can't say Dick Van Dyke on Facebook. <laughs> so... <laughs> I, I have not noticed that, but I guess those two words in conjunction with each other um, and, you know, and the spellings. Too. I also so. learned uh, I also learned a few weeks ago as an SNL nerd yourself. I learned I can't say Jane, you ignorant slut on Facebook. Really? Oh, well, yeah. that's that's a shame. So I got my account zucked for 24 hours by having an argument with someone and going, Shane, you ignorant slut. Wow. That's so. funny. I digress. But, you know, when you mentioned family ties with this, for me, that was very much, yeah, because Channel 5 uh, in New York City is, uh, in the 1990s, aired a lot of family ties reruns. And growing up, you know, I'm born in 1988, 32 years old, and early 90s, they used to air... I Love Lucy at noon for like a full hour block. And then later on, there was a Family Ties block at I think five o'clock. So seeing a lot of these shows, it brings back a lot of memories because that was syndication. I grew up on watching shows such as All in the Family and Sanford and Son and things like that. And it's absolutely perfect with how they get those tropes of what these series can accomplish, you know? And with, you know, what's coming up next with the 2000s, they're, oh man, it's, it will be a real treat to see how they can pull this off. That's, yeah, that's interesting. I haven't watched any of the previews for, for episode six. I'm, I'm enjoying coming to the, into this as cold as I possibly can, because then I'm just more naturally surprised. Like, I'm, like, 
I've had a few experiences in the movies where I've enjoyed it all the more because I did not get spoiled on something beforehand. At the end of uh, Spider-Man Far From Home, there's that big uh, mid-credit scene where there's a su certain surprise cameo. Oh, we can say who it is. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, the, you know, they brought back the great J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson. And this is something that I have literally been advocating for for a couple of years. And um, I had no idea he was going to be in the film. But I, I had written like a column for a website that I, I've written for uh, the Atomic Junk Shop where I did like, you know, five suggestions for, for, for the Marvel Cinematic Universe going forward. And one of them was bring back J.K. Simmons because he... He's like game for returning as the character. You haven't used anybody else for like four Spider-Man movies. He's he's obviously you're not going to do better than him. And we, and he made the character himself. Yeah. And and he came on on that screen. I lost my shit in the theater. Um I am not I am not a person who's like real vocal when I'm watching a movie outside of just like laughing or maybe occasionally applauding. When he came up on the screen, I was like, yes, yeah. I lost all control of myself for about 30 seconds. So much so that when I came out of the movie with my friends, uh, one of my friends turned to me and was like, so John, what was your favorite part? <laughs> <laughs> See, that was me seeing the first Guardians of the Galaxy and waiting for the end credit scene and Howard the Duck shows up. Because I openly double fisted into the air. Yes. Yeah. Because, again, that's such an underappreciated, underutilized character, which, yeah, there's that 1980s movie, which isn't very good. No. Except it's still better than many other things. That's actually the first but Marvel movie, by the way. It sure. It, oh, it most certainly is. And it definitely shows. <laughs> One of the most <laughs> but, infamous flops in Hollywood history. <laughs> But there's just something about that character that, you know, I want to see more of. And I hope they do something with that character because they've got to. At this point, they've got to do something with him. Yeah. But, again, that's a podcast for another day. A, a, like a, We'll save it for a duck day. I don't even know where I'm going with that joke. But, again, I digress. But with that, you know, we also got to see in this episode Wanda going back to her Sokovian accent in a scene which, honest to God, reminded me of a parent going up to you after you threw your frisbee into their yard accidentally. And, you know, when she walks up to all of the sword agents and says, this is your last warning. Don't come to don't go into my home ever again. Right. It, and I love that. It's like it was literally like the equivalent of an angry parent or an angry neighbor that, you know, did not want your junk in their yard. So I'm, I'm curious to see where we're going with her, with that accent, because she's also like, she hasn't done that accent in a very long time. And a lot of people have complained about her version of the accent, the European accent. And I would imagine after a number of years, she heard all those complaints and wanted to find a way to improve upon it. And she definitely improved on it. It sounds much better than it did before. Yeah, yeah. I, I was kind of glad that they dropped the accent uh, for her. I mean, it makes sense for the Scarlet Witch to have a bit of a uh, European accent. I just didn't think it was real successful in Age of Ultron. So I was glad they kind of, you know, dialed it back over the subsequent movies. Um, and, yeah, she doesn't really need it at this point. But but it is part of the, the character's history, so why not uh, use it? Now, I have to ask, have you read Mark Russell's uh, Flintstones comic? I realize this is a very strange segue. Is that the recent one where they're, they're drawn in a more realistic style? Correct. Uh, no, I have not read it. I've, I've read, so uh, I've read I bring... some of Future Quest. That's about it. Well, on the topic of that, and I realize it's a very strange way of bringing this up, but in that series, there is an issue involving the vacuum cleaner and the bowling ball. And if you've read that series, you will know how emotionally draining you get with that because of everything that happens. And it is genuinely one of the saddest moments in a comic. And again, Mark Russell is, in my opinion, the Steve Gerber of comics, the new Steve Gerber. And that's saying something because as somebody who loves and worships the work of Steve Gerber, hot damn. 
but I digress. But with that, we have that moment for me with the dog Sparky. And seeing Sparky the dog wrapped up dead was one of the most heart-crushing, soul-crushing, just sad things I've seen in a Marvel movie. and Or even show or anything. And... Yeah... I, I think it's really funny seeing the relationship between Billy and Tommy in there where they have that point of them growing up. They want to grow up in that moment when Sparky is gone. And it's also again also that's crushing too because you don't want you don't want to see these characters rush that aging process and grow up because of a crazy random happenstance such as that, you know? And and the weird like episode four reminded us that this is happening over the course of like less than a week at this point. Like yeah. over, over the course of like two or three days, she was like shifting through decades. And then like the day after the kids were born, they aged themselves up to five. And then at the end of this episode, the vision is like, well, you know, it's not often that you get a dog and then the dog, you lose the dog in the same day. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, they're, they're doing some really interesting stuff. And, it, and it's. It, it, it's kind of refreshing in a weird way that like to see a show or a movie that actually has the guts to kill off a cute pet. Um, Cause like yeah. so often I, you see like action movies or something like, uh, like independence day. They had like a, like the dog out running the space lasers or something. And it's like, okay, well you've already killed off half the characters, but you don't have the guts to kill off a dog because somehow that's more offensive. Um, it's all, it's funny that there's a website where is the I think it's called is the dog okay or is the dog alive.com it's something to that effect and because dog owners are really really passionate about dogs even if they're not their own and i've always found that funny like my uh, ex we went to go see a movie and a dog showed up on the screen and the immediate reaction from her was oh and really loud in the theater too and i'm just like the dog can't hear you honey but <laughs> just that whole element of People are really passionate about animals in that sense, and I understand that. And, you know, I can completely, like, if something happens to a cat in a movie, I will be heartbroken beyond belief, more so, because I'm more of a cat person. But, you know, that whole element of seeing that, it's, it's just, it's so interesting, you know? Don't know why I said interesting in that tone, but or that inflection, but whatever. <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> now... Overall, this episode is definitely the best of the season so far, and I'm curious to see where they're going. Where do you think they're going to be going with the series? Um, I, I feel like we're, we're definitely, and, and this is just my theory, I have no inside information or spoilers or anything. I may be right, I may be totally off base, um, but I know that uh, Wanda the Scarlet Witch, she is going to be in the next Doctor Strange movie, The Multiverse of Madness. So I feel like we are going to find out in subsequent episodes that Wanda is somehow channeling or tapping into the multiverse into these other dimensions. And uh, my feeling is that she's we're, we're probably going to have a, uh, a master-protege relationship between Doctor Strange and Wanda. Like, he will maybe train her in actual magic. And... I feel like we might even have a reveal that Wanda and Pietro are actually mutants in the MCU and that like their powers were just activated by uh, uh, the Loki staff when uh, Hydra was experimenting on them. Because, I mean, there's nothing stopping them from using mutants now. Oh, boy, where do we begin? Uh, I feel like this is going to be the way we're getting the mutants in and... You know, some people are speculating there was a remark by Paul Bettany recently where he goes, I got to work with someone I never thought I would work with that yes. I really wanted to work with. I just saw this. I just saw this. And and there's speculation as to who the actor might be. And two people that I've seen listed were Hugh Jackman and Sir Patrick Stewart. And let me just say, if it's Patrick Stewart... I am so on board for that. However, it's very much a thing of that send off in Logan was masterful. And 
that again, I've gone on record many, many times saying that's in my top three comic book movies of all time. And just how they got rid of those characters, how they gave them their farewell. You like, I feel like it's going to be such a disservice to them for that. But I think what this is going to be leading to is going to be, it's like, it's going to be a mashup of darker than Scarlet and house of M and somebody on Twitter, I forgot who said it, but it was just absolute chef's kiss, chef's kiss. Ah, that of (laughs) my favorite line, full house of M. And I wish I made that pun. I really wish I made that pun because that's perfect. Full house of M. oh, Oh, that's cute. That's cute. I loved it. And it's, I don't know what this could be doing. Will we see the mutants incorporated? God, I hope so because they, I miss the mutants. I miss the X-Men and I realize it hasn't been that long since we had an X-Men movie. We literally had last year, new mutants, which again, I've said on the show, I actually liked that movie and I thought it was a fun movie. But then again, they played the replacements in the movie. That's part of why I really enjoyed them. Sure. You know, so there you go. You throw in you throw in a song off of the album Tim Bastards of Young, I will be really content. Just just an FYI, if you're if if uh, Kevin Feige is listening to the show, and God, we hope you are, and we also think you should subscribe to our Patreon at Patreon.com/slash/TheMarvelists. But I digress. We, you should put in in the next Marvel movie anything by the replacements off of that album. Just please, Tim T I M. Remember that, Kevin. But again, I, let's I just feel keep going. like. <laughs> Um, I, I feel like one, probably the next Spider-Man movies are best shot to hear the replacements in an MCU movie because they, they go back to the eighties a lot in there. I mean, they, they, they the, played, they played a lot of Ramones. They played save it uh, for later by the English beat, which is one of my favorite songs of all time. They played vacation by the go-go's it's, I, I, I want, uh, uh, what's the, the director of the Spider-Man movies right now? I'm blanking on his name. I was going to say Mark Webb, but it's not, because Webb was the one that did the uh, amazing series. Garfield movies, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm totally blanking on his name, but I want him to make me a mixtape. Um, he's very, he's got a very hip taste in music. Him and James Gunn. Yes, yeah. Uh, there's also sound strong soundtrack game in uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Um, oh, yeah. Like, uh, bringing the mutants into the MCU, I feel like... I feel like that's something they could do fairly easily. I mean, you could just say like, oh, they've been here the whole time. They've just been hiding out and operating in secret. And and really, that's all you need um, because they're yeah. they're feared and persecuted for just how they were born. So I, I don't feel like you need a big explanation for why there are, quote unquote, suddenly mutants in the in the MCU. Just pretend like they've always been there, just operating under the radar. I feel like the the Fantastic Four might be a little tougher to incorporate because they're they're Marvel's first family, um, and so how do you duplicate the significance of the FF when you're more than a decade into the MCU? Um, so I'm really interested in seeing how they're going to incorporate the FF, and I know everybody's saying like John Krasinski and Emily Blunt for Reed and Sue. I personally don't see that at all. I really want to see. Um, Anson Mount from Star Trek Discovery play Reed. And yes, he played Black Bolt already, but uh, nobody liked that Inhuman show. And we've we've had actors come back in, dif- in different roles before. So it's fine. Anson Mount for Reed. My thing with, I'm fine with uh, Krasinski as Reed Richards, but to be completely honest, Krasinski as Reed Richards and Emily Blunt as Sue Storm has become the new Nathan Fillion as anything and Idris Elba as anything in terms of casting. Yes. And... It's very tiring and yeah, just surprise us because nine times out of 10, the ones they pick are pretty damn solid and they end up becoming synonymous with the character, you know? The casting like, yes, on pres- the MCU has been just pretty impeccable so far. Even, even the people I wasn't thrilled about at first have really grown on me and I'm just like, yeah, now I can't picture anyone else. Really. And uh, I mean, just from Robert Downey Jr. on, they've they've done a brilliant job of casting. And I, I think it's so amazing that they've cast all these roles so well. And all, also all the actors seem to get along so well. They sincerely seem to like each other. And you don't hear any reports of like 
the the stars clashing or getting into arguments like on say the Fast and Furious movies where like the rock was yeah. uh arguing with Vin Diesel or whatever. You never hear any of that. Ironically, the Fast and the Furious movies are about family. Family. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. They they are about family and uh and uh, uh drinking coronas, I think. Um and I think there's some car stuff in there once in a while. I have not seen any of the Fast and Furious movies, so. Um, but I digress. Sorry, that's that's all I'm gonna. Th- that's all I'm gonna think of now with the Fast and the Furious movies. If I ever decide to actually watch them, I wonder how many Coronas will be in this movie and uh, TV DVD player combos. Yes, because that was apparently a plot point in the first movie. In the first one, I yeah, apparently it was it was about stealing DVD players. And and illegal street them. racing and okay we neither one of us has ever seen any of the Fast and Furious movies we should start a podcast where we just watch the all the Fast and Furious movies I would do that yeah let's let's get just, this uh, just idea off the ground just Coronas while we're watching the the Fast and Furious movies and just watch them I go mean that's the only way you can do it um, and we we have to record them in the family room yes because that's what it's about it's about family that's that's what family does yeah. They, they watch the Fast and Furious movies in the family room. Um, and we could have uh, Hobbs and Shaw as our Patreon bonus. There you go. There you go, because it's a spinoff. Yeah. Exactly. But, John, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on this episode today. Thank you very much for having me. I had a lot of fun. And before we go, John Sherburn, our audio engineer, has a bit that he wants to tell us about what he thought of episode five of WandaVision, which also real quick before we go and send it over to him. I love that today's episode title was based upon Blossom, a very special episode. I mean, there were a lot of shows, particularly in the eighties that did that. I mean, like growing pains or family ties. They, they always did like the issue of the week where, you know, oh no, the uncle played by Tom Hanks is an alcoholic and he's drinking vanilla extract because he's such an alcoholic. And there's a Growing Pains episode where uh, Chandler was playing the boyfriend, or excuse me, not Chandler, Matthew Perry. A young Matthew Perry was playing the boyfriend of the daughter on that show and he was killed because he was drunk driving. And and the, the episode just ends with her going, where was his second chance? And oh, they're so, they're so horrible and they're so overwrought and... Oh. I, I I can't stand very special episodes now. <laughs> They're so bad. <laughs> but you know what's not bad? Once again, ladies and gentlemen, John Sherburn. Thanks, Peter. Sorry, everyone, that I missed the actual recording of the episode today, but don't you worry. I'm coming in just a bit later to give my two cents. And uh, Peter, you and John went through most of the stuff that I would have said, so I don't have a bunch to add, but I'll give my takes on a couple of the concepts from the episode. Um... Obviously, to start, I was I'm excited for Evan Peters. I wasn't really surprised. He's been in the top build cast since before the show came out, so I knew in some capacity he was going to be involved in the show. You can only assume it was going to be as Quicksilver. It was more a matter of when than if. Um, and I think they did it at the right time. I think that you know, uh, like John had said at one point in the episode. This is right around the the middle, I guess, of the show in terms of, I mean, in terms of episodes, but also just in terms of plot arc where you start to have to, you sort of have to start getting into the, the meat and potatoes of the, of the show. You know, we had a lot of setup and I just think from here, I'm not going to see much more plot, you know, see much more concepts of like good and evil and things falling apart and what's going to end up happening as opposed to as much of the kishy kind of dialogue and cutesy stuff. Um, and so I was happy for the first half of the show and how it's been, but I don't see it getting any less serious from here on out. And so I think that's a great time to introduce someone like Quicksilver into the mix. And he's going to give us a bunch of questions and his existence is going to serve as an enigma, I think for the rest of the show. Um, I like Evan Peters. Obviously a lot of people do. He's extremely charismatic and he fits the role really well. Um, one thing I'm, I'm nervous about is I, I don't like speedsters, um, as, as a general rule. I think that they can be really OP. Um, they uh, have the ability to kind of diffuse so many of the situations that otherwise pose a problem. Imagine if during the Battle of Wakanda, you had Quicksilver um, with a sword or something. I mean, I guess because, you know, a gun would maybe be not effective. But if you give him, you know, some sort of sword that he can take with him that, you know, before you say anything about that not being not making sense, 
in like the X-Men movies, at least he's running with clothes on and stuff. So, you know, that objects can move with him, maybe not shooting a gun, but objects can. So you give him a sword, send him out on that line. He just runs across stabbing anyone that comes in his way. They don't even know what's happened to them. Um, and so I, there's a lot of ability for world breaking. And so you see most of the time just speedsters getting nerfed. Um, you see them having, for some reason, their powers don't work or um, the bad guys have developed some sort of way that they can't utilize them as what they wanted to. Um, stuff of that nature. And I don't know. So a lot of times these kind of feel like lame ducks where it's oh, either they can't fight or if they can fight, it should be a quick fight. Uh, and so I think that's why he got killed off in Age of Ultron. Um, and you saw, you know, Scarlet Witch kind of be a, a, a shimmer of what she usually is in the comics. Because with Marvel and DC, you see so often, in my opinion, you know, huge cosmic fights. It always kind of ends up being something huge um, because they're really powerful superheroes. So regular stuff's not as appealing. But to a movie audience, the regular stuff is important. And so I think we're going to see a lot of like the lower level superheroes at this phase of the young ones that don't really know what they're doing as much, fighting in smaller stages. Um, and so I'm curious how they're going to utilize Quicksilver. I don't see him having a long lifespan in the MCU. I don't think he will. Uh, maybe, but I could see him being killed off again. Because, again, unless he's a lot slower or they add some sort of you know, nerf where he only can do it for short periods of time, I just see it being too much of a cop-out for them to want to keep him around. Maybe I'm wrong. We'll see. Same thing goes with the Wanda now that she's so powerful. Um, I don't really know how they're going to maintain her, and I, I could see her not being around for much longer. Um, I could see Vision being around for a while, and his memories of Wanda are these ones as opposed to the before times, which gives him, maybe he's sad about that, and maybe he refuses to, to fight, or he's... I could see him becoming sort of a mentor figure for the younger Avengers, um, or something like that. So I'm, I'm kind of trying to think of how that works. Getting into other things aside from some of these characters, um, they mentioned like radiation in Westview. And I think when Wanda does that like snap to make the bubble turn red, um, I feel like that'll maybe put that radiation in a hyperdrive. And next episode you see, you know, Reed Richards maybe coming in and them saying, it's, it, we don't know what to do. It's it's the radiation spiked and maybe these people become mutants. Um and maybe they're sent to a, a school in Westchester to try to figure out how to use their new powers they've never had, sort of a reverse House of M. But, um, you know, I'm curious about the Reed Richards angle. I think it's pretty much, not confirmed, but I'm pretty positive it's going to be Reed Richards. I hope it's not John Krasinski. He's one of those, I, I don't know, uh, I feel like for Reed Richards, you need to have an older person who's poised. Uh, imagine he's going to be the smartest person in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I believe, most intelligent in a, a human way, at least. And so, given that, he we need someone that, in my opinion, is one of those like intellectually domineering people, and and maybe John Kaczynski could turn that on, but I, I don't know. I, I really don't know if he could pull it off in a way that doesn't make him seem like a you know a, a hapless guy. Maybe he's young. Maybe they make him young in this, as opposed to someone that's older. Um, I'm trying to think of ways they could do it. What I think is going to happen is you're going to see that there's this um, team based out of Sword, who's, you know swords extra planetary stuff i think you're gonna see maybe reed richards show up as reed richards maybe in scroll invasion or something you see sword sends out a team and when they're out in space something happens and they get superpowers i don't think they're gonna have an origin movie in terms of how they got their powers i think at most it's gonna be in secret invasion or whatever or scroll invasion or whatever they, i think it's secret invasion is the title you might see a post-credit scene in the movie that's them getting their powers, um, but I think it's going to start with them as young heroes for S.W.O.R.D. before they decide to go public and just be superheroes or something, because I, I just can't see them doing another origin story. I feel like it would be a waste, um, so we'll see how that goes. But I do think we're going to see Reed, Rich Reed Richards next week, and um, I'm trying to think of, of uh, other opinions I have. You know, I like the way this show is moving in terms of, like, you know, visions becoming aware of what's happening. And uh, it's kind of weird to me. He's, you know, he's almost like the hero going to be the hero at this point, And one is like the villain, which will be interesting to watch. Uh, parents get divorced. Oh, no. Um, so we'll see how that goes and how Quicksilver factors in. Is he going to live with them? Like, how is this going to work? Um, so that's something I'm curious about. And uh, I guess another thing that I've been thinking about is, you know, I talked to somebody about this. I think it might have been Peter, but... Uh, you know, Quicksilver doesn't recognize Vision. And I believe in Age of Ultron, he does know him. So 
I think this is truly the Fox. Like, it's not even just like recast. It's truly the Fox universe person, I think. Uh, and so I'm curious to see how they do that, how they bring in other characters, uh, given that maybe these are like literally not Marvel characters. <laughs> these are the Fox actual characters, how they do that. But I just thought that was an interesting thought. Um, and yeah, so we'll kind of see how things go forward. Um, this is, again, the middle of the show here. I don't have a lot of theories or ideas because the way it usually goes is beginning of a show, you, you, they're starting to paint a picture. So you get to like, look at what they're doing, what the tapestry is starting to look like and say, Oh, that could be that. Oh, that could be that. And by the end of it, you get the payoff. You get, you know, in the last couple episodes, you're going to see some of the theories get thrown out the window for who the bad guy is. It's thrown out the window in terms of whatever. And you start to come to the answer and you start to get those payoffs. But the middle is weird because in the middle, it's hard to theorize it's kind of a waiting game. Like, what are they going to do? They're setting up the <laughs> the end game stuff for the show right now. And, and it's just kind of, you're watching that stuff get lined up and there's really nothing we can do except for wait and see um, who's who and what's what and how this is all going to end up. Um, but I'm excited for the next couple of weeks to see how it ends. Uh, and I, I think that's pretty much all, all I have to say. So thanks for listening. I hope it wasn't too rambly or uh, unhelpful, but that's kind of where I took this episode. So uh, thanks back to you. Peter, Pietro, get it? Like Peter Maxima, but back to you, Peter. All right, once again, thank you so much for doing this show. And let's do it again from the top. Bring it back from the top to the bottom of the episode. How can people get a hold of you on social media? <laughs> you can find me on social media at Trumbull Comic. That's T-R-U-M-B-U-L-L and then the word comic. And you can also follow uh, my podcast, the SNL Nerds, uh, just search for SNL Nerds wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're on Twitter at SNL Nerds Show. Very cool. For the Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm John Trumbull. Excelsior! <laughs> <laughs>